0: Hello, Gap Year universe, I'm Margot Brookfield.
1: And I'm Julia Rogers. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing gap year adventure.
0: On today's show, we welcome Ryan Allen, co-director of Irish Gap Year, which is a service-learning semester based on the northwest coast of Ireland. But before he started his own Gap Year program, he spent several years living abroad and traveling himself.
1: He has a lot of great stories. So without further ado, thanks for being here and let's get started.
0: All right. Welcome to the pod, Ryan. Uh, we appreciate having you here today. And based on Google, it seems that the three of us are spanning nearly 5,000 miles of the globe. Uh, so where in the world are we today?
2: Woo-hoo. Well, I am in Donegal in Ireland. I'm looking out the window and it's a beautiful, sunny summer day. So we're on the West Coast here. And uh, I believe, Julia, you're in Vermont, aren't you? That's right. Also a beautiful
1: summer day. It's it's super humid, and I think it might storm later, but for now, the weather is holding, and it's just kind of like that dense humidity kind of summer summertime in the Northeast.
0: And I'm here in central Oregon, uh, in Bend, my home base, and it is nice and hot today. I think we're supposed to hit 105 degrees. And unfortunately, we've had some fires across the West Coast, so it's nice and smoky here, um, which is making for some beautiful sunrises and sunsets. But uh, not not ideal at the at the moment. But uh, yes.
1: <laughs> so thank you so much again, Ryan, for being here. And we absolutely we really want to you know explore both your story and also what you're doing now as an educator. So. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of come into the gap year world through through travel and their own experiences in their younger years. So one of the things that we kind of wanted to to jump off with is what was your first formative travel experience and, and where'd you go and what'd you do?
2: Mm, that's a good question. So formative travel experience, that's a good way of putting it because I think you, there's certain places you can go and then there's certain places that really stick with you. I think my first really truly formative travel experience i was probably about maybe 10 years old and my grandparents who are from from ireland and they they were you know very rural country people like farmers so they wouldn't have been exposed to a, a whole lot in their lives we were visiting an uncle of mine who lived in san diego so me my grandparents my mother and my sister flew to san diego to visit my uncle michael and We decided after about a week that it would be a good idea. Well, they decided. I was only ten, but they decided it was a good idea to drive to Tijuana because they wanted to see Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we um, and this was gone. This was probably well, I'm 34, so this would have been about 25 years ago. So, so we drove. We drove to Tijuana, which at the time seemed like a million miles, and it was very very hot. And I fought with my sister the whole way in the back of the car and my grandparents were yelling at us, Thomas, to be quiet and, you know, this and that. And I just remember the heat and the busyness of getting in and the chaos of being in Tijuana was just so different than anything i would ever seen. And it was the first time I think I ever realized, oh, there's a different world out there to the world that I live in. (laughs) There's a different... A whole different cast of characters doing all different stuff, and I have this memory from that trip. Um, you know, there's a lot of tourists in, in Tijuana, and there was a donkey painted uh, white with black stripes on it, and it had a little terracotta <laughs> flower pot on its head. <laughs> and there was a, a Mexican guy in he was in he was basically in a costume with his zebra donkey, and he was trying to get people to take pictures with him, and my my grandfather thought that that was hilarious because he knew it was you know he knew it was a donkey because he was from a farm. So he we went up to the guy and he was like, "That's not a zebra, that's a goddamn donkey." And he was <laughs> like, "Who are you trying to?" Fool? <laughs> and it just stuck with me. And I guess you know, that trip had all the elements. To, to wrap it up, to wrap up the, the answer to the question, that trip had all of the elements of what I think a good formative travel experience should have. There was struggle because getting back into America was a massive, you know, huge long line of cars, very hot, very intimidating as a child going through the, the border and that type of stuff, um, even though we, we were US citizens. Uh, so, so there was a little bit of struggle and a little bit of unknown factor, definitely. Uh, we had to earn it because we drove there and we were, you know, in the hot car and arguing and everything else. And then just being there and and when you're there being in the moment and meeting the people like the guy with the zebra donkey. And um, so I, I think that all good formative travel experiences, you know, you need to be invested, you need to put in a bit of effort, there needs to be a little bit of struggle. And you also need to be able to kind of surrender and be in the moment and at 10, I didn't know any of that. I just remember, wow, what a crazy place. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, but a,
1: that's a good way of putting it. I love that.
2: <laughs> I enjoyed it. That was my first one, you know.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, definitely sounds like a very interesting uh, and formative experience and welcome into the traveling, you know, traveling in that part of the world. Um, and we know that you studied abroad in New Zealand. Obviously, a little bit different than your excursion into Mexico, but um, just curious about kind of what that experience meant to you and what you enjoyed about learning there during your time studying abroad versus learning, you know, in the states.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I talk about that childhood trip, and that was just my really my first, you know, dip in the toe into the travel pool. And I have to say, in my adult life, I've definitely. I've done a lot of traveling, I've enjoyed it a lot, had a lot of adventures. Um, New Zealand was definitely a big one. I did study abroad at University of Christchurch, which is on the South Island, or University of Canterbury, sorry, in Christchurch, on the South Island of New Zealand, and the reason I went was because I wanted to, I really wanted to try to combine adventure and outdoor kind of, you know, outdoor adventure with higher education. and. Um, I had started off at a school in New York State and I didn't I, I didn't not like it but I wasn't really it just didn't feel right to me. So I did two semesters and then I went um, on a study abroad program to University of Canterbury and and that to me felt right. Uh, the Kiwis were really into like you know outdoor and the adventure culture in New Zealand is great. Um, there's endless amounts of places you can go check out down there so, when i was there um, i was just like wow i really like this i actually like this university experience more than i liked the one at the at the college i was going to in new york state so i transferred then i transferred into that school to complete my undergraduate degree there of which i had um, 3 years or 6 semesters left to do and i studied literature and uh, postmodernism actually which was interesting and I just did a lot of hiking, a lot of traveling around, camping, um, a lot of surfing and just exploring the country and I, I couldn't recommend New Zealand enough to anybody who's thinking of doing a study abroad. It's just a fantastic place particularly if you're interested in the outdoors. Um, they've just got it all down there. I know Christchurch is a great spot. Um, since I was there they've had a, a big earthquake but as far as I hear the city is Is doing quite well and recovering. Auckland is good, but it's a big city. It's on the North Island. Um, Wellington is another city that you can study in that's really good. And Dunedin on the South Island is also another um, study abroad destination that's really popular with people. So I kind of, you know, it was tough. I had to follow my heart and take a little bit of a leap of faith, a big leap of faith, actually. Um, You know, I don't know how far away it is. It's probably. I don't know, 3,000 miles away from anybody I knew. So that was tough, you know, but it was very formative to uh, who I am as an adult. And I, I always recommend to people who have a certain level of resilience, like that taking a leap of faith is a good thing. You know, it's, it's a really good thing. And if you trust yourself and you put the time in to really think about, well, what do I want out of this experience? Usually it ends up being a real growth, but I did my last semester in New Zealand mostly from a tent. Um, so I was going <laughs> to my lectures and doing all my assignments and and you know getting good grades. But at that stage, I was just so into camping and you know I was out like almost all the time adventuring and camping. And I'd take my homework and my assignments with me, and for me that was like a, a space where I could really kind of be productive. So. You know there's a lid for every pot out there especially these days and for me new zealand was just a great match
1: yeah the lid to every pot is the perfect analogy i think to education in general and i think that also how experiential education fits into the grand scheme of higher education because there are so many different learners out there and for some people it, like living out of a tent and studying by uh by headlamp is going to be the fit for them and and i agree new zealand is just uh so many different activities and adventures to be had but it's all within it feels very safe it is very safe um and it's a really great place to kind of have those adventures while still knowing that kiwis are the most friendly people that you'll meet and that there's always someone to pick you up if your car breaks down or to give you a place to stay if you need it. I mean, I had so many people uh, conducting random acts of kindness to me when I traveled there. So I also agree it's, a, it's an amazing place.
2: Absolutely. The the random acts of kindness thing is, is huge there. And I don't know if it's part of their culture, if, if that's like just the way they are. But I think a country like that, it was kind of a like an outpost for so long that people it's probably really in their psyche to help each other out because they're so far away from anywhere else and just the yeah the goodwill over there is amazing actually like kiwi kindness <laughs> yeah totally so you got you
1: and your partner at Irish Gap your Killian yeah uh, are both based in Bundoran in the northwest coast of Ireland. Uh, So tell me a little bit about how you made your way from graduating in New Zealand to back to Ireland and how did you come to kind of get the idea to start Irish Gap Year?
2: Yeah, so this is um, (laughs) this is what I would call a very circuitous path. So it's Mm -hmm. not a it's definitely not a straight line. Um, But it's definitely also been interesting and a lot of fun. So when I graduated from from Canterbury I was really happy in New Zealand I was starting to put down roots and I really really enjoyed being part of the community you know that was something that I was was really good for me and this sadly I couldn't stay because once my student visa ran out I basically had 3 months to to move on and at that time as someone who was well maybe I was 21 at the time 22 I didn't have the wherewithal to to go through the whole like permanent visa, you know, straight into a career. I wasn't really at that stage yet, so I kind of felt like, all right, you have to leave. Your visa is going to run out. So, so I did. I left and I went to the U.S. and I worked um, at different experiential education outdoor education centers for the better part of a year. So, you know, I, I always enjoyed working with young people. Um, I initially studied to be a teacher, so I, I definitely wanted to work with young people in the outdoors, and I worked at a couple of those centers kind of seasonally. I worked at one in upstate New York called the Ashokan Center, which oh, is a yeah, great I'm spot. Sure. I worked at one in Northern California, um, up above San Francisco, and I I, I, I missed... What I really missed working in those jobs was this. This might sound a little bit cheesy, but I really missed surfing because that was my passion. That was my like energy release as a young man with like a lot of energy. Um, who some might like label as an ADD kid. I personally didn't, don't really think that I was, but I just had a lot of energy and I missed surfing. And I, I wanted to get back to that because I knew for me, you know, a good balanced life included that. So I was looking into coming to Ireland and and kind of settling down or even just coming over to kind of take a little trip and kind of explore a bit. So I came over, I brought my surfboards. Um, the first place that I went to was Donegal because that's where the kind of the best waves in the country are. And I met Killian through surfing along with a lot of other people who are, are good friends of mine to this day. and. Killian had just opened a surf school and he was like, hey, do you want to help me out? Do you want to do some lessons? Do you want to help run the surf school? I was like, whoa, no way. A surf school in Ireland is great. And so I I started doing lessons for him and that's where it started. And um, we, you know, we were working with local school groups. We were working with local kids. um, You know, it was very much something to get young people out and outside and active. And from there we started kind of adding activities like kayaking and hiking and little camping trips for the youth clubs. And, you know, it was his school, his premises, and I was helping to manage it. So he was really kind of my mentor. He's about, in a lot of ways he's my mentor. Killian is, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, he's like 41, so, so, you know, he's a little bit older. And um, yeah, he kind of took me under his wing and we worked a lot in the community as I said with various school groups and then I went off and branched off and did my own thing and I was like, I set up my own um, camping and kayaking guiding business. So I would take people um, on like camping trips and kayaking and paddle boarding. Uh, It wasn't surfing but it was outdoors and it was, you know, it was active and fun and it afforded me the type of lifestyle that I wanted to live at that stage in my early kind of mid-twenties. And I did that for a couple of years. all the while, working with Killian, you know, we would definitely share groups and ideas and collaborate on projects, and eventually we started to collaborate on um, these sort of state-funded projects that you have to tender for, but you're you're basically tendering to get schools outdoors and active because there's been a big push here in the last 10 years to get kids outside, get them away from screens, get them active and into the natural environment. So we were set up for that. We had all the gear, the premises, the experience, the contacts, to do that. And we started doing that. And we so we collaborated on these these um, courses that were very very structured for a number of years. And we sort of got tired of after a few years of two things: having to tender for them because you know you're kind of bidding and competing against other activity providers, but more so it was the fact that we couldn't create the content the way we wanted it. You know, we couldn't teach what we wanted. We had to teach what, what they were looking for. So we were, we kind of had a winter of brainstorming thinking, well, what, how can we, how can we create this kind of like course or this kind of content where we can teach, you know, the things that we want to teach to these, to these young people. And actually at the time we didn't know of the kind of gap year concept as it were. Um, you know, we were familiar, I would say, with all the elements of it, you know, but we didn't realize that you could pull it all in together. And one day we were driving up to um, a government office where you where you tender for these projects. And Killian said to me, what do you think about doing a gap year program? And I said, well, what's that? And he said, he said, well, it's basically what we do with the transition year students, but uh, you know, it's a group, but you can... You can kind of teach them whatever you want, and and I said, hmm, that sounds interesting. Let me look into it. So we did research for a couple of months. Uh, we kind of saw what was out there. We we brainstormed a lot, and we we realized that there wasn't many structured gap year programs in Europe. And that was like an aha moment. We were like, wow, there's really not many people doing this in Europe. Like, why is that? And <clears throat> Killian's very fond of like idioms and like sayings, so he 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 told a little parable of a shoe salesman in Africa who is selling shoes in a village where no one wore shoes, and everybody thought that he was mad because if nobody in the village is wearing shoes, obviously nobody wants shoes, so that's one school of thought is that if you don't have shoes, you don't want them, but the other school of thought is maybe you don't have the shoes because nobody offered them to you before, so we were like. Well, no, nobody's doing it in Europe, so there's no shoes over here. So let's, let's you know, bring out the shoes and see if people like them. So <laughs> we, um, we basically specced out and combined all of our kind of collective knowledge and experience into the adventure and leadership program that, we, that we're running now. And um, We did our best to create a draft. And we went over to the US and we met with um, some consultants and some people involved in the gap year industry and said here you go guys what do you think of this you know are we are we crazy or is this something that you think you know might get some traction and we got really positive feedback and and we just ran with it and now we're running full programs you know twice a year we've just added a new program which is the arts and culture program and you know in a nutshell that's kind of the journey from from you know finishing my college experience in New Zealand to run an Irish Gap Year with Killian.
1: And sidebar, Killian Killian is really cool, he's a really cool dude, so hi Killian if you're listening. He is.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. he'll be listening to this in about three weeks when it goes live. Right. <laughs> but That's there's awesome. something I always tell parents when they ask me, um, or students, you know, did you do a Gap Year yourself? And I say, no, I didn't do a Gap Year, I did a Gap Decade because... <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> From like 20 to 30, like I was doing a gap year without knowing it and it was like, you know, self-designed and a lot, of, um, a lot of hard work, but it was the same, you know, it was the same concept. And I think that the same rules apply to that, my personal journey of like development to what we're trying to provide for our kids on our gap year program. So gap decade, maybe that's the new thing. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I love the parable about the shoe salesman too. I think that that's so applicable and, and so relevant too, because I think that your program fits such a niche within the industry because there aren't many, um, or at least I know only know of a couple from the fair circuit and such of programs that do structured gap year opportunities in Europe. So, um, But that's awesome to kind of hear your, your journey there.
2: Yeah, it's been interesting, definitely. I couldn't ask for um, a job that is more well suited to me and then I enjoy more. I love working with our students. I love our team. We have so much fun. Um like today we were off in the mountains developing new hikes for the gappers and you know we went on a hike that was pretty pretty challenging, very difficult and we were like, you know what this is too much for like for most students. So let's just park this one. But for everyone that doesn't it's it's important to find out what doesn't work and not test it on like live people. So, you know, we were up hiking all day and, and laughing and messing around. And it was great fun. And that was our work day today, you know, and it's just such a nice industry to be involved in. Like you guys know, it's very collaborative. People work together, ideas share, and it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Um well yeah, and of course it's your passion just comes through in everything that you that you're telling us, so I love to hear that. Um and obviously that's that's why all of us are here, uh, working in this industry. Um but I do it seems to me that there might have been a piece of this story that was left out. Julia did mention that you have a cool story um about how you saved money to start Irish Gap Year. So how did how did you go
2: about that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> is an, Yeah, I was trying to like condense ten years into like about five of minutes there, but um, yes. Yeah, so we we did fund the company myself and Killian out of our own our, our own pockets, as you do have to when you know when you're when you're starting something. But yeah, I worked for a number of years in Norway, so which isn't really that far from Ireland. Uh, it's it's an hour and a half Ryanair flight from Dublin. So funny enough, actually, the bus from Donegal to Dublin costs more. At twenty one euros, than the flight from Dublin to Oslo, with Ryanair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Kidding. But
2: I wouldn't recommend Ryanair. I hope. I hope. Um, I hope they're not listening right now. But I wouldn't recommend them to anyone because they're always <laughs> on worry, strike. Don't worry, they're
1: not currently a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> Michael O'Leary's not listening. <laughs> we won't reach out to them.
2: <laughs> yeah, they've got bigger fish to fry, I think. But um, but yeah, I did work in Norway for a few for a few years, and I was working on a fishing boat um that was you know we were fishing in the arctic circle we went to the north pole we went to russia we went to greenland we went to the little arctic islands that probably no one's ever heard of like bionrique and um yeah it was very very uh intense work it was um you know it was a really really kind of a deep adventure and i knew getting into it that this was gonna probably push me to like my limit of um well, past my limit of my comfort zone, and and probably into the danger zone, to use some you know experiential education phrases, and um, it definitely did that. It was very very dangerous, and it was very uh, challenging as well. So you would go out from anywhere from sort of sixty to ninety days at a time. Um, you would go out until basically you filled your your freezer until you you had your quota full, and we were. Um, a pelagic boat fishing for whitefish for cod the main buyer of the fish was actually McDonald's so you can get some very high quality food from McDonald's if you get the fish fingers <laughs> <laughs> cuz they're actually wild cod so most wow. people don't know that McDonald's has wild you know you know atlantic cod on their menu but anyway we w- we would go out for anywhere from up to kind of 90 days at a time and you would try to be on 12 to 15 hours a day every day with no days off. And um, so it was hard. And um, I could see that the guys that were doing it for, you know, a career, they were, I wouldn't say they were, you know, happy, fulfilled people. They were They were burnt out and they were worked really, really hard. And, um, you know, one of the things in fishing is people kind of live, uh, work hard and play hard. Um, but then sometimes don't have much to show for it. So I knew that when I was on the boats, you know, each fish was, I was thinking of it as like a brick in the foundation of, you know, my my life going forward. And it was physically very painful and, and difficult, but what kept me going was the, the thought and the goal and the dream of, you know what, I'm gonna take the money I make from this job and I'm gonna set something up with it. I'm gonna do something. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time. I, I was imagining something something a little bit different uh, until I had that conversation with Killian that day at, when we were driving in the car. And it was the opportunity that I think I'd been looking for, searching for, um, working for, for most of my adult life. And I just feel so lucky that we decided to take – take that leap of faith and start the company but yeah i mean there's a- endless amounts of stories fishing stories from from norway um do you want to hear one sure sure okay yeah.
1: <laughs> i imagine you with like the slicker rain slicker like the cap
2: like yes, the dangerous catch situation them. yeah yeah oil skins I, they're they're really important because <laughs> You're getting sprayed with water, but you're also getting sprayed with, like, liquid fish. Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a while to get that smell off you. But um, you want to kind of keep it at bay as much as possible. So, yeah, you're wearing um, big, heavy, like, um, steel toe, like, Wellington boots and a big oil skin kind of overalls and a big luminous jacket and all that kind of stuff. So... (laughs) So the day I got the job, I was trying to get a job on the fishing boats in Norway. I was I was actually working for like a little outdoor center up there, managing it. And while I was doing that, I was I was trying to get a job with fishing boats. But it's actually hard to get on the boats. Um, you basically need to know someone who who are, either is already on the boat or works in fishing in the industry. So I had a friend whose father was a part owner in a boat. So I was like, oh, perfect. You know, who better to know? Um, then Kittel, Kittelsen was his name, which actually means in Norwegian that name means Kettle, son of the Kettle Man. So (laughs) his name was Kittel Kittelsen and um, they have really cool names in Norway. Um, And Ryan is a girl's name there by the way, which didn't make things easy for me. (laughs) But but anyway, so the the story is, is that I went to Kittel and I asked for a job on the fishing boats, and he said, "Well, why do you think you can do this work? It's very tough." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm used to hard work and I can do it. I know I can. Give me a chance." And he said, "Well, let me see what I can do for you." So a couple of weeks pass, and you know, I'm, I'm living a nice idyllic life, teaching outdoor education in Norway, and I get a phone call, and it's Kittel, and he says, "Ryan, do you want to go work on the boat still?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to." And he said, okay, your interview is tomorrow, um, you know, be there on time at such and such a place. And that place is about three hours away. So I was like, okay, great. So I went up and I, I was expecting an interview like a conversation or, you know, show us your CV or tell us why you want this job type of thing. Well, that's not what it was at all. First of all, I drove the three hours. Um, <laughs> I arrived to the dock where the ship was and there was no one around, so I went onto the ship, I looked around, it was empty, and I, I kind of explored, you know, trying to find someone, and I got down into the cargo hold, which is a 900 ton freezer, so a 900 ton freezer is probably like half the size of like a large supermarket, like it's a massive amount of space, and there was a man down there, and he had a, um, a pressure washer, like a power hose type thing, and he just put it in my hands and he said, "Wash this freezer and come find me when you're done." So, this this ship had just come in from you know 90 days out at sea and having 900 tons of frozen cod in it. <laughs> like this is the size of like a like a basketball auditorium. You know, it's a huge space, um, caked in fish that's thawing oh, out.
0: Oh my god! And
2: he wanted me and two other guys to power wash the whole thing like you know it was a it was a massive task and I just thought oh no we're gonna be here for like the week so but the first rule of fishing is that you're not allowed to ever complain about anything no matter what so you just have to do it and I knew that so I just said right okay here we go And we spent the next 12 hours solid washing the freezer. One guy complained, and he was told to go home. So his interview was over; he didn't get the job. And the the other two of us just kept washing until it was done. And then he said, "Right, you have the job." And we said, "Okay, when do we go?" And he said, "Tomorrow." So, you know, within the space of two days, I um, was—I went from you know day to day, normal kind of job to, um, right. Okay. I'm going out to sea. I don't know what to expect. I need to get my, you know, illuminous luminous orange jacket and my hat and my this, that, and the other. And, um, and that was it. That was the interview. And then the next day I went off and I didn't come back for 90 days. And it was just, it was the hardest interview of my life. (laughs) No
1: kidding. So every, anyone who ever goes on an Irish gap year program should know that Literal blood, sweat, and tears has gone into that program and building it.
2: <laughs> That's true, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Show some appreciation, future uh, students. Oh, they do. Though. <laughs> they do.
0: <laughs> that is an awesome sto- story, though,
2: Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Fiona, my um, my missus. You guys have met her, or Julia, you met her anyway when yeah, you were older. Yeah, yeah. She's always like, "You should write a book. You should write a book." But then I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't. If I write a book, like." Well, first of all it's very flattering, but like thank you. But <laughs> if I write a book like the I might scare off the parents of the you know, the gappers. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, wait but I, wait
1: wait till you like your end end of your career maybe and you can write a full memoir. Yeah, about... like
2: 65, 70. There exactly. And and maybe use a nom de plume or something.
1: Ooh <laughs> <laughs> good idea. Exactly. <laughs> So Ryan, this fall, you welcome another cohort of students. Is this your fourth cohort coming into, or, or is that right? Fourth it fall cohort?
2: It is actually our sixth.
1: Sixth. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. That's, it's our yeah. sixth time, cohort. Time is flying by.
2: It is. So- yeah. So for the adventure leadership program, it's our sixth cohort. We have 12 students joining us. Um, we, each time we, you know, we run the program, we fine tune it and we add different things and we kind of tweak it and adjust it based on what the, what the students seem to like and what we think they need to do. So some of, the, some of the fun things we've added to this one, and I actually hope that none of our Autumn Gappers are listening because I kind of like to surprise them with these things. But if you are listening, guys, here's what you have to look forward to. Um, we're going to do something called the Polar Dip Challenge, which is something we came up with which is a lake. It's one of the highest lakes in Ireland. It's right on top of a mountain like a tabletop mountain. Oh. And on the ridge or on the side of the mountain is like a steep ridge and there's this lake. It's blue with a gold sand beach and it's basically like a natural infinity pool. It looks wow. out over like our region over here. It's only like 20 minutes from the Gap your house. And we're going to hike up, which is a challenging hike, and then anybody who wants to can bring their towel and their swimsuit and go for a polar dip in November. Hopefully, we've got a bit of snow. Um, <laughs> then come out, towel off, warm up, put their you know put their gear back on. But we're actually doing it as a fundraiser for charity. So the Gappers are going to get to choose a charity, a local charity, and collect coins at the traffic lights, you know. And then um, the the challenge will be then for them to do this hike, take the dip, um, go back, and then donate the money from it. So oh, it'll be interesting. True. I think it'll kind of catch the attention of the community and, you know, little stuff like that we like to add to the program as we as we go.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And, and I, as a sidebar, I've been lucky enough to visit Bundorn a couple of times and I've seen Irish Gap Year in action. Um, and so I, I think that it's worthwhile just kind of giving a little bit of an overview of the of the program. It's a semester long program. All the students, the 12 students live together in a gorgeous house that, overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's But Bundro's House mm. is what it's called, right, Ryan? Yeah, Is that yep, how I pronounce right. it right? Yep. Yeah. And um, so, wh- Ryan, why don't, in your words, tell us a little bit about where your program fits in with the grand scheme of other Gap Year programs as far as the support and mentorship that you all offer and also kind of the variety of activities that you offer with the Adventure and Leadership program as well as the new program that's going to be launching next fall.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I guess... We, we kind of work off cornerstones, which are what I would call like the themes of our program. So the Adventure Leadership Program has four cornerstones. It's got outdoor adventure. It's got community volunteering, cultural immersion, and leadership and communication. So those are like the themes. Every activity we do every day on the program, the trips we take around Ireland, those four themes are interwoven through them. So in terms of outdoor adventure. We do a lot of hiking. We do some camping. We do kayaking, learning to surf, stand up paddle boarding, a little bit of horse riding. So it's a real kind of a like a like a pick and mix of outdoor adventure activities. And typically, our students, you know, don't have a ton of experience in any one of those activities. You know, we do get students who have been on say like a Knowles program and they've done a lot of hiking. But for most of them, like the surfing is very new for them, the kayaking is very new. So that's always good because it's a great equalizer. You know, everybody's in the same boat. They're all coming in fresh. Um, and as you know, outdoor adventure, outdoor education really lends itself to personal growth and sort of life metaphors, you know. So that's, that's one thing that, that's definitely a big part of that program. Volunteering in the community has to do with getting the students really engaged and part of our community. So they work with the youth group here in Bundoran. They work with Clean Coasts, helping us clean up marine litter that comes in off the Atlantic. Um, which there's, you wouldn't think it, but it's it's here. You know, at the end of the Gulf Stream, um, and it's washed in from from all over the place. So, you know, that's a great that's a great community volunteering piece. We also work with um, young autistic children in from the area in like an immersive after school program so it's called liquid therapy and we take those children after school uh, our gappers take them surfing which might sound like completely crazy because, you know, usually when I say that parents are like, wait, my kid's never been surfing before. And you're going to have them take this, you know, 10 year old child with like Asperger's or with autism into the Atlantic in Ireland. (laughs) Are you crazy? And uh, so I always have to kind of fill people in a bit more on, well, what exactly is it? So these children that are taking part in the liquid therapy program, They've been surfing for a number of years, and they love it. They absolutely love it. You can just see the smile on their face, the laughter. They unwind. You know, the parents get a little break as well. But they need supervision, um, one-on-one supervision. And so you need a good base of volunteers to make that happen. So we do like a crash course in like surfing, working with the students, the do's and don'ts of working with children with like Asperger's autism with our gappers when they first arrive. And then we pair them with like a big brother, big big um, big brother, big sister kind of thing with the liquid therapy kids. And they take them out after school surfing. But our gappers are learning from them because they know how to surf. And they're learning from our gappers because they're young adults, and they're you know they're kind of just socializing with them and supervising them in the sea. Now the whole thing is overseen by like a team of lifeguards and experienced uh, like special educators. So there's a lot of safety and control, and the guy that runs it, Tom Lucy, is just a fantastic guy. He's you know really got his act together, but it's very high impact, you know, and and the parents and the kids love it, and our gappers love it too. So. That's kind of another piece of the, of the volunteering. In terms of the leadership and the communication, we do workshops with our students. We do like half-day interactive workshops. They're very hands-on. I teach them myself. I've had a lot of fun developing them and kind of refining them over the years. And they cover things like, you know, nonverbal communication, um, briggs Meyer personality type, um, you know, different types of team dynamics, um, team roles that people p- play. Uh, we do things like the egg drop challenge, the marshmallow challenge. So usually we'll introduce a concept, we'll talk it through as a group, talk about our own experiences, you know, in that area, and then we'll do something activity, group activity to reinforce it and keep it fun and interactive. Uh, we also, you know, on the leadership piece, we have student leaders who will lead the group on say hikes or um, Help to organize, you know, the charity event as I talked about. So we try to really engage the students and challenge them in a, in a leadership role, um, and and all the roles that come with a team, you know, supporting leader um, right on down to kind of like, you know, now you're having to to be delegated too. So how does that feel, and what type of leadership, you know, best suits you? So. So that's the leadership piece and then the cultural immersion has to do with one we're a community-based program which is different than the trend i think in gap year which is kind of expeditionary so we're we're in our community here in bundoran the students live here they get to know the locals but we also travel around ireland and we kind of go off the beaten path so they get to see the whole country and really get to kind of survey the culture um Hands-on and in a deep sort of a way. So that's the idea with that program. It's a broad program. It's very active. It's very structured, and it's basically about um, empowering the students and and kind of getting them familiar with themselves, how they work with a team, um, how to lead and be led, and how to be part of a community and and just keep it fun. So that's the adventure in leadership. want me to talk about the arts and culture too or am i kind of talking too much sure that's the whole point
1: is for you to talk but yeah give us a brief overview of that one which will be launching in fall of 2019.
2: yeah so this this has been a very exciting project to work on and a lot of fun for the team to develop and basically it came out of the adventure leadership program was very successful people loved it we were kind of having to turn people away because we were full um you know we do have a limit of how many students we could take because as I said, we're here in the community. They have their own house, and there's only a certain amount of space in it. So one thing we were hearing from a lot of um, applicants and a lot of people at the, at the USA Gap Year Fairs was, "Oh, this is so cool! I'd love to go to Ireland, but like I'm an arts person. You know, I'm not. I don't want to climb a mountain. I don't want to, you know, kayak in the Atlantic in you know November or whatever. So, you know, what is there for me? And we kind of thought, geez, you know. I love music. I love to play music. I know plenty of people involved in the arts, as does Killian. You know, his wife Mary's really into painting and drawing. And we were like, we've got the, all the resources here to create a really cool program that kind of is more tailored to people that are into the arts. So we came up with a whole new idea. And basically, it has to do with, you know, artistic, what we call artistic exploration and portfolio development. So the gappers get to try lots of different art projects and um, disciplines. So everything from sort of sketching to drawing to painting to basket weaving to like wool felting or stone carving to Irish music, photography. So we've got a really broad, broad exposure art program where they can try all different things. And then as the program goes on, we shift and sort of refine the focus to what's the area you that, that you're most interested in. And then we connect the gappers in small group workshops with professional artists and tutors who can show them, okay, well, you like photography. Here's the elements of what makes a good photograph. And we're going to have these small group workshops um, to to work on that. So the, the workshops kind of go from broad to more focused and smaller group workshops. We also do all the trips around Ireland, but instead of doing them with an adventure sort of a theme, we're doing them with an artistic and cultural theme. So, instead of going to Belfast and like going on a crazy hike on the Giant's Causeway, we're going to Belfast and we're going to like a art deco cinema and, you know, we're going um we're, we're going on like a street art tour and doing doing sketching lessons with street artists and you know, we're just kind of it's a lot of fun because we've just been able to tailor it and just just create it. And I don't know about you, Margo, but like when you're creating a program or creating content, it's just so fun because you can just think like it's free. You know, you can create whatever curriculum you want. And like the goal is that you're exposing the students to. um you know different things that might catch their interest in life as a maybe a career path or a hobby but you're also letting them explore the things they already know they like but maybe they're not going to commit to studying for four or five years in, in university so for me like creating a new program is super super fun
0: absolutely can relate to that i think that's one of the most fun parts of the job is getting excited for the potential experience for students and all that you know they're going to get out of it and i think especially Yes, creating a new program or a new branch of your program or a new location. It's it's a blank slate. You can create anything you want with it. Um, So I think that that is amazing that you're starting a new sort of piece to Irish gap year. Um, And I think that you all absolutely just hold a really specific niche within the industry, especially amongst semester programs in that. You know, in a location that nobody else offers, also doing something that's completely different, you know, being in one place and having this sort of home base for students, um, immersing them so deeply in Irish culture, um, and, you know, just having really unique opportunities for them. So I... I think that that is, it's just amazing to hear a little bit more about it. Um, And overall sounds like such a transformative experience for your students. Um, I am sure that over the past five cohorts that you've had, I know you said you're coming up on your sixth. I'm sure you witnessed a lot of wonderful, you know, moments and transformative pieces or light bulbs for students and such. So I'm curious if you have any particular stories um, from a student that would really illustrate the Irish gap year experience and what they got out of that during their gap year.
2: Yeah. Um, That's a good question. Um, well, one of the things I'll definitely get into that. But one of the things I love hearing from our students that I hear surprisingly often is, "Oh, I didn't know that I liked nature." You know, (laughs) so like to me, that one always stands out because it's just so funny of a of a you know thing for someone to say. And um, some of the students come and and they're like, "Oh, I want to be an iron," and this looks great. Uh, you know, I'm new to all this outdoor adventure kind of stuff, but I'll give it a try. And then they realize that there's all these benefits that come with being out in nature, which, you know, Julie, I know you are you live in Vermont, it's like a paradise. You go on tons of hikes with Tom and you guys are into the outdoors and Margo, like Bend is a super spot too for that. And you can sometimes forget that some people don't have any exposure to that. Um, You know, but it's the peace of mind, just the the, you know, the endorphins, the exercise. We really like to impart that on young people as like, you know, this is a positive thing for your for your mental health, for your outlook, for everything. So like one of the funny, you know, kind of anecdotes is, oh, I didn't know that I liked nature. So I'm always like, Wow, well that's great to be able to kind of, you know, introduce someone to. But success story wise, we've definitely had a few. Some of them have been You know really serious and really high stakes you know young people who have gone through like difficult adolescent years um and i i don't really i don't think i should talk about those because they're so personal so i'd rather kind of talk about like more of a middle of the road kind of experience that probably more you know the majority of students can relate to so i mean i would say one of your students julia mary reber she hopefully is listening. Hi, Mary, if you're listening. She was
0: with us as well. Um, oh my
2: gosh, she did an a, ARC it's semester. <laughs> it's a yeah. double
1: student. It's
2: yeah, she was like one of our – I love it. She was like an all-star gapper, totally. And, um, yeah, she's wonderful. You know, she she had done a lot of programs prior to coming to us, and she was on, I think, our second cohort. So we were definitely, like, in the learning curve, like pretty steep in the learning curve. And she was just so lovely and so nice and had such positive, constructive feedback, you know, on the program. But I think that what she got out of her time with us was a chance to, and this is totally something you hear from a lot of students, um, a chance to unwind and step back from You know, the pressures of academics, um, particularly in that period of like high school leading up to university where there's like a ton of standardized testing and it's very high pressure. And to come to such a low stress environment where really it's all about just personal development, just being yourself and unwinding, you know, she, you could see the difference from when she arrived to when she left. She was just much more relaxed. And for a lot of students, you know, that's a big thing. It's just an opportunity for a young person to be young and to unwind. Uh, Mary in particular, she's a very good student. I'm sure she still is a very good student. Um, but she got that time here. It was like time out from that. It was like time for her, just for herself. So that's definitely one type of student that we see. And it's great to hear that feedback as we get to know them and and review their experience towards the end of the program. You know, another type of student that we get is is a student who who might not really know what they want to do. And that's why it's nice to kind of be broad and expose them to a lot of different things. And now I'm thinking of a student named Emily from Bethesda, Maryland. And also, hi, Emily, if you're listening. Um, And Emily, she didn't really know what she wanted to study, uh, leaving high school, and she she knew she liked animals, but she never had really explored that. Her parents wouldn't let her have a dog at home, so so she came over here. And one of the organizations that we volunteer with is is an animal rescue called Hungry Horse Outside, and they have at any given time between like five and six hundred rescue horses so you know horses take up a lot of space and require a lot of cleaning up and looking after. So we go down with the gappers and we help muck out the stables and brush the horses and feed them and and all that kind of stuff and they also have rescue dogs down there and Emily absolutely loved it. She loved it down there. Um, she had she got some bad news midway through the program someone that was someone that was near to her passed away and she was really in a bad spot about it and we offered to get her a puppy (laughs) because you know what doesn't a puppy cure a cute little puppy you know (laughs) so we got her um a rescue dog through the people at the animal shelter and it was like the Gapier house dog for like the second half of the program. For six weeks, this little dog lived in the house. And anybody that knows me knows that like I am so um, like square and A4 about and particular about how Bandrao's the Gapier house, is kept and like keeping <laughs> it super nice and like polishing floors and polishing antique stuff and like... You know, I just really take pride in the place. Well, the dog chewed the back of one of the two hundred-year-old doors and scratched oh my it, gosh. and she. Oh no. Yeah, but the poor girl, she was like so worried and nervous about telling me, so she didn't tell me for a few days, and then she finally came up to me and she was like, "Ryan, um, uh, I'm really sorry, but um, Saoirse, that was the dog's name, very pretty Irish name. She was like, Sersha, um, scraped the door to the room. I was like deep cleansing. But But it was fine. We just painted over it. But, you know, I'm kind of waffling. But long story short, you know, she ended up with a rescue dog and and it made her realize she loves working with animals. And she went home. She started working at PetSmart um, and she just kind of continued on that path. And now she's doing um, an undergraduate degree in veterinary studies. And I have no doubt that she will become a very successful... And a very good vet because she found out that she loves animals and she's very compassionate and and experienced firsthand like the healing power that having an, an animal in your life can can have. So you know that was another real success story that was you know we were just so happy. And every time I go to America, um, to DC for the Gap Fairs, you know it's nice to hang out and catch up with Emily and and the little dog too, Sersha.
1: Oh, that's so cute.
2: Although, I think we
1: should probably make a a point to say that not everybody who goes on Irish Gap year will get sent home with a puppy.
2: Um, (laughs) No. True. Julia, the amount of paperwork involved in getting a puppy from Ireland to the US is like insane you'd think we were trying to like import plutonium or something (laughs) we we had to get it a passport we had to like get it quarantined it was a massive amount of work oh my gosh yeah and killian i mean i remember like two or three weeks prior to departure killian being like hey i think that getting this dog back with emily is actually going to be a bigger deal than we thought and i was like oh yeah i'm sure you'll figure it out and (laughs) 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 you know he's he's not a guy to um he just kind of tips away and gets his work done and doesn't say much about it. But you know, it was a it was a big project. Leave it at that. It was a big project, but it was yes. well worth it. And she has a very very good life with Emily, this little dog. That's so sweet. And if anybody's wondering, like kind of trying to get an image of what this dog looks like, um, it's a little, it's like a little kind of a Shih Tzu type thing.
0: Aww. Oh, well, yeah. and especially if that has informed her now life path and her college major and career path moving forward. I mean, how transformative, I think also turning something that was obviously very tragic and challenging for her into something super, that has seemed to have ended up very positive. Um, that's that's amazing.
2: Yeah, we were happy for it, definitely, you know, and, and for the dog too. The dog's also got a, a better life out of it. That's fantastic.
1: All right, Ryan. So we're going to shift gears here. We're kind of going to wind down the episode. We always like to uh, end our interviews with what we call popcorn questions, which you guys you guys might do with your students um, oh as part of the, yeah, yeah, part of, <laughs> a, you know, cornerstone of experiential ed. So we're gonna just going to, Margo and I are just going to ask you some questions. Just give us, you know, quick pithy answers uh, and we'll, we'll see how fast we can, you know, get through some of these last questions and then we'll... Uh, and then we'll say adieu. So, um, all right, my, I'm going to go first. Got it. What, what aspect of Irish culture do you most like introducing to your students?
2: The crack, which <laughs> which is not the same as in America. <laughs> <laughs> it just means like the banter, having fun, joking, laughing, and um, kind of like a back and forth flow to a conversation.
1: Yep, crack. C-R-E.
2: AIC crack. Yes, yes, yes. not uh, like not not, not, not not totally different from American crack.
0: Funny. I would not have expected it to be spelled that way. Um Ryan, what is what do you think is the strangest traditional
2: Irish cuisine? Ooh, that's a good one. Um jeez. I would have to say Christmas pudding because it it's like it takes a few months to make. It takes probably like an entire bottle of whiskey. It's basically like a sponge made of like raisins and a little bit of like like bread kind of stuff and dried fruits and yeah, like it takes usually people start making it kind of this time of year and you know, you pour a bit of whiskey on the cake. It soaks it up. You leave it. You wrap it up in tin foil. You pour a bit more whiskey on the next week. You wrap it up and that continues until Christmas. Until this thing is so dense and full of whiskey (laughs) that you can actually light it on fire, which people do on Christmas, and a little flame comes off of it and it's like sinfully sweet. Like I I I don't like it personally. It's too and it's too dense. Um so that's a weird one. And also it lasts. Like it has an unlimited shelf life because it has such a high alcohol content. So (laughs) like you can go to someone's house in the summer and they'll be still trying to pass off the, the Christmas oh. pudding that they had served, oh like, gosh. nine months prior to that. So that's a weird one. That I
0: have not heard of before, so that definitely sounds unique.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not really that nice,
1: though.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: there, uh, If you want some good, like, Irish food, there's, there's that to be found, too. All the fresh fish and mussels and oh, soda absolutely. bread and all that kind of stuff as well. But she um, asked
2: the most interesting, so that's true. No- <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: Um, okay. So what is, what do you think is the most essential piece of travel gear to have while traveling in Ireland that beyond a raincoat or umbrella, because that seems like an obvious choice, but something that maybe people wouldn't think of initially.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely raincoat. I mean, I could say something boring, like rain trousers or like sturdy hiking boots, but you know, that would be, <clears throat> that. that's kind of goes with the raincoat theme, but I think I think a good camera actually, or, um, you know, if you're going to use your phone like most people do these days, one of those little lens kits that clips onto your phone because the country is so um, photogenic and beautiful that it's it's really nice to have good pictures after your time here. And those little lens kits oftentimes have like a fisheye lens. So if you're in like a small cottage or, or a castle or somewhere where it's very tight quarters inside. You can kind of capture the entire area without doing a panel and making, you know, blurring people out of it. So I think a good camera or also a good lens kit for your camera phone.
0: Good answer. That is great. I loved when you brought your uh, fisheye lenses and such to the Gap Fairs, Ryan. I actually ended up buying some for myself off of Amazon based on your suggestion. They're so good, aren't they? (laughs) They're super Uh, fun. They just clip right on your iPhone. Yeah, and everything looks Um, like
2: it's in a fishbowl.
0: I love it. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, what aspects of the Gaelic language do you find most compelling or unique?
2: Well, I mean, I can't really claim to be an expert in that at all, because I can't speak Irish. Um, and a lot of people here in the Northwest, you know, there's Gaeltox, there's Irish-speaking regions in the Northwest. So, I mean, I, I to answer your question, though, I think that it's very lyrical, and I think that it's it's very descriptive, the way that, you know, um, the way that like a sentence is structured or certain words are structured, it's different, it's fundamentally different than English. So it's it's just very, it's very lyrical and descriptive and kind of graphic. So I, I think that it's, it's a very pretty language, but I don't really, I mean, I only know a couple of phrases and, and when I see, things like poems or, or, you know, limericks or expressions translated into English. You hear them in English and you hear them in Irish. And in Irish, they just sound so, so much more natural. I wish I could speak it.
0: Ryan, we so appreciate your time with us today. And thank you for joining us on the pod, especially all of us spanning three vastly different time zones around the world. Thanks for making it happen.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks a million for thinking of us, and and I'm glad to be a guest on the podcast.
1: All right, so you can find Ryan at IrishGapier It's com, right, Ryan? Not or. yeah,
2: we went with the dot com, yeah. yeah.
1: And also, Ryan and his team almost always do almost every or every Gap Year Fair, and that's usagapyearfairs.org if you want to learn about the schedule. He'll be in the States January and February of 2019 touring with with the crew of uh, the USA Gap Year Fairs and visiting lots of different cities all over the country so you can learn more about his program or see him in person by attending a Gap Year Fair. And you can find us a lot of places, Gapier Radio. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Gapier Radio or online at Podcast.com. You can also email us your Gapier questions or comments about the show at gappierradio.gmail.com. at gmail.com. And you can download the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you do have a moment, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can discover the show.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Julia. Now, Ryan, we are trying to sign off every pod in a different language. So, it of course seemed appropriate today to try Gaelic in honor of you being with us. Uh, but I know that you mentioned earlier in the show that you don't really speak Gaelic. So, would you mind maybe telling us how you would say thank you and goodbye in the language?
2: <laughs> uh, you could say giramera, which means thank you in Irish, which is one of the few phrases that I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd say that to you guys, Kiaramea, and thank you for having me as a guest on the podcast. And I look forward to listening to all the other guests in the future. Kiaramea, thank you. All right, guys.
0: Thanks so much, Ryan. Have a great evening.
2: Thank you very much. You too.